Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Well, we are going to be in Luke chapter 7 this morning, so if you open your Bibles there, Luke, of course, the third gospel in the New Testament. I understand we're going to start reading actually at verse 36, and we'll cover through verse 50, Luke chapter 7. But what I understand is that you guys on Sunday mornings are going through Hebrews, that epistle, and it's a wonderful, incredible book, uh, important for us as Christians to understand and the theme, of course, is Jesus is better, right? Uh, Jesus is superior. He's supreme to any religious person, any religious system. His sacrifice was superior to the animal sacrifices. And that his priesthood, one of the things you're going to see as you progress through the book of Hebrews is that his priesthood is superior to the Levitical, or that is the Aaronic priesthood of the Old Testament, because his priesthood is a priesthood forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that'll be introduced to you as you travel through Hebrews. We'll continue, actually, through chapter 10. But this whole idea of Jesus is our great high priest um, is seen in Hebrews. And not only that, but it's emphasized he's our sympathetic high priest. He's our merciful high priest. And then as you end chapter 4 and move into chapter 5, he is our compassionate high priest. And we can now, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that we can come boldly into the throne of grace in time of need to receive grace and mercy. It's an incredible truth, and it would be an incredible truth to those initial readers, those Hebrew believers in the first century that were really struggling at that time. And as we consider that in the book of Hebrews, I think that Luke chapter 7 here illustrates his great compassion that he has for us and his great love for us. In four different stories, actually, you see it in in Dr. Luke's narrative, uh, beginning in verse 1 through verse uh, 10, we see the story of uh, the healing of the centurion servant there in Capernaum. And then the second story in verses 11 through 17, Jesus would leave Capernaum. He would go to that little village of Nain, and he would raise the widow's son from the dead. And then in verses uh, 17, or actually 18 through 35, we see the compassion of Jesus towards John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison. Uh, He is struggling. He's wondering. He sends a couple of his disciples to go talk with Jesus. And the response of Jesus towards John and in answering him really was compassionate and tender. And it's a wonderful portion of scripture. But then the fourth story that we're going to look at that's unique to um, all of the gospels is the story of this this woman who comes to Jesus at the house of Simon a Pharisee. Perhaps you know the story, but uh, we're going to look at it again here today very carefully. And we're going to see again Jesus' love and compassion towards this sinful woman. We read in verse 36, again Luke chapter 7, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. 
we know that the name of this Pharisee is Simon because that's told to us there in verse 40. Now, as you study the Gospels, as most of you know, that there were different uh, political and religious uh, sects that were in the land at this time. But the two main religious groups were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Gospel writers mentioned them oftentimes uh, as they would come together. They, they really didn't like each other. They, they didn't uh, really agree with each other at all. They, they, they were uh, combative and uh, towards each other most of the time. The only time they really got together was to try to put Jesus to death, to, to, to make sure that he would be eventually handed over to the Roman authorities. And so here are the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the land. The Sadducees were the, the, the rationalists of the day. They were considered highly intellectual. They were fewer in number than the Pharisees. Uh, the Sadducees didn't really believe in much uh, of anything spiritually. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible, uh, the books of Moses. They didn't believe in the poetic books. They didn't believe in the prophetic books. And they were ones that didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the coming of Messiah. They didn't believe in the afterlife. So they were fewer in number, as I mentioned, and it is also believed by scholars that many of the chief priests were of the sect of the Sadducees. So Caiaphas, who is the chief priest at this time, you'll probably be hearing his name uh, during Holy Week and, and Jesus, of course, going before the religious council called the Sanhedrin. The Jewish Supreme Court, made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, presided over by Caiaphas, the official high priest at that time. Well, the Pharisees, they were more in numbers, I've mentioned. 6,000 in the land, it is believed at this time. They were the ritualists of the days. They were the ones that saw themselves as being highly religious. They were the dedicated ones. We are the separated ones. We're going to keep the most minute details of the law that the scribes had interpreted. You see, the scribes, they also call lawyers, perhaps, in, in your Bible that they would not only write the scriptures, but they would interpret the scriptures as well. And perhaps you've heard how it was the scribes that took the Ten Commandments and they made 613 commandments. But one of the other things that they did as well is they wrote very extensively on the keeping of the Sabbath, what constitute works, what constitutes breaking the Sabbath. And the Pharisees came along and said, that we are going to dedicate ourselves to keeping of the Sabbath, the, the most uh, important tradition of the law to them. And what happened was, as they were this proud, haughty kind of sect that didn't care about the people, that they began this confrontation with Jesus in the previous chapter, in chapter 6, over the Sabbath. And what was happening, as you read it, is that Jesus' disciples are in the fields there. Uh, it was prescribed in the law that if you were poor, if you were hungry, you can go into the corners of the field and pick heads of grain. It's the same with the vineyard. And, and you would pick heads of grain, and you would put it in your hand, and you would rub it, and the chaff would separate from the grain, and then you just kind of blow it and the chaff would blow away and then you'd eat the grain. 
Well, the Pharisees, they got upset because they were doing it on a Sabbath day. They said, you can't do that. Your disciples, it's unlawful what they do because that's considered work. It's considered threshing. It's unlawful. And Jesus, of course, he would respond to them as he would say that the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. And there is one that is standing among you that is greater than the temple. And, of course, the temple was everything to those religious leaders. Well, that confrontation would escalate. It would move then into the synagogue there on the Sabbath day in Capernaum, and the Pharisees are up front, and they're uh, waiting for Jesus to come in. They're watching him. They're trying to find a reason to accuse him, and one of their laws that Dr. Luke actually brings out quite a bit in his narrative uh, in Luke's gospel is that there's to be no healing on the Sabbath day. And there in the back of the synagogue was a man with a withered hand. You probably know the story. And Jesus comes into that synagogue. He knows the hearts of the Pharisees. He turns to the man in the back with a withered hand, and he says, you, stand in the midst. And he stood up. And then he gave him a command. And he said, I want you to stretch forth that hand. And as that man stretched forth his hand, as he dared to do it, it became whole and he was healed. There's a word there while we're talking about that for perhaps somebody here today. That maybe you feel like in your life that there's something withered. There's some paralysis. Something's not working right. And the Lord's been speaking to you. And I want to encourage you, you stand in the midst. And whatever he's telling you to do, know this, that he's going to give you the strength and enable you to do it, just as he did with that man. He wants to do a work, and he wants to do a healing. He wants to touch your life in such a deep way. Well, with that in mind, that sets up here what we see here as uh, we read here, uh, again, that Simon the Pharisees asked Jesus over for dinner. And the Pharisees, overseeing all the religious matters of the nation, people, keep in mind, are coming from all over, not only Galilee, they're coming from Tyre and Sidon. They, they are coming from uh, the cities of the Decapolis. They're coming from Judea and Jerusalem. And the gospel writers say that there's great multitudes, not just large crowds, but there's great multitudes. And Jesus is teaching the people. He's healing them of every kind of sickness and disease and freeing the demoniacs. Matter of fact, in this chapter here, verse 21, we read that that very hour he cured many of infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits and to many blind that he gave sight. So the Pharisees, being responsible for the religious matters of the nation, it would be very understandable, wouldn't it? Very reasonable for one of them to invite Jesus over eventually for dinner, to check him out personally, that he would be invited by this one called Simon. Now, we're not exactly sure where this takes place. Uh, probably, most scholars believe, in Capernaum. Uh, the last town that was named was Nain, 
and that's just a small village. So Jesus probably coming back to Capernaum, that was his hometown, he spent more time in Capernaum than any other place in his ministry, and there Simon would have a house. And keep in mind, as Simon invites Jesus to his house for dinner, he's not doing it because he's sympathetic towards Jesus. He's not doing it so he can get to know Jesus or become friends with Jesus, to learn from Jesus or to receive from him. He probably, Simon, is not impressed with Jesus and particularly has been offended by his teachings. Because at this time, as Jesus is teaching on the truths of the kingdom, he's given the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is it began with the Beatitudes as he's on that hillside speaking to his disciples as that sermon, which is the longest sermon of Jesus recorded in the Gospels, that people began to gather. And you can be sure that some of the religious leaders gathered as well when Jesus would say to his disciples that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So that word would get back to Simon that Jesus is teaching these things and he would be greatly offended. He would be upset, as the young people say, that he would be triggered by that. So here is Simon inviting Jesus over, probably to find fault with him, to, to accuse him, to be critical of him. Now here's the interesting consideration. Why would Jesus accept this invitation to have dinner with Simon? Why would he go to the house of a Pharisee? And the Pharisees at this point, we know from Mark's gospel, that after Jesus healed that man with the withered hand there in the synagogue, that it tells us that the Herodians, another group, they were more of a political group, and the Pharisees were determined to destroy Jesus. They already are planning to put Jesus to death, and they are not going to stop until they do hand him over to the Roman authorities. But here, as, as you consider, why would Jesus go to the house of a Pharisee who's going to be a rude host, who belongs to a group that wants him dead? And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves that Jesus, yes, the emphasis is this woman that comes to him that we're going to be introduced to in the next verse. But keep in mind this, that Jesus also loved Simon. He loved the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus wants to get to Simon's heart. We know that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as most of you probably know that some of the Pharisees got saved. Do you know that? When you go to Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem council and Paul and Barnabas and the boys from Antioch come up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, James, and John and the elders and they're having this meeting. What are we going to tell those Gentile believers? Are we going to tell them they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? And it tells us in Acts chapter 15 that there was a group of the Pharisees that were there. Oh, they're still legalists. They're saying, yes, they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. But we know that some of them got saved after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's even a hint of some of the Sadducees getting saved in the book of Acts as well. In chapter 6, that it tells us that, that some of the priests 
believed on the word of the Lord, that is, they became believers. And what is also interesting, that is, you see that in the Gospels, that the Pharisees were the main enemies of Jesus. Oh, the Sadducees joined in with it. But Luke here, in his Gospel, only records the Sadducees once. And that is a few days before Jesus is crucified. They came and asked them this ridiculous question about the resurrection. Now, when Luke, inspired by the Spirit of God, pins the book of Acts, he puts an emphasis on the Sadducees. Why? They were the main enemies of the Christians because they're talking about Jesus rising from the grave, seeing angels at the tomb. That was bad theology for the Sadducees. You see, Jesus was the same savior for those religious leaders as he is for this woman that we're going to talk about and the reason that i'm pointing that out is because many of us i think that most of us that we know somebody don't we that they think that they're saved because they're a good person or they're religious enough i think unfortunately that you can stand outside of some churches and i I say the church broadly that as people are coming out you can ask them why would god let you into heaven and you'll get all kinds of answers well i belong to this church i was baptized in this church i was confirmed in this church i i'm a good person i i gave to the church i've been a good spouse i provided for my family Uh, as good as those things are they don't understand it's not good enough and i remember when i was sharing with my dad my dad um, who has gone home to be with the Lord. He, he was a hard worker. And he taught us kids how to work hard. And, and he was a great provider. And he was a gentle man. And I said, Dad, you're a good man. But you're not good enough. And that's why you need Jesus. And he would give his life to the Lord. And we rejoice now as He's with the Lord. He's gone home to be with Him. And you may be here, or the people that you talk to, you might think, well, I'm okay. I've gone to church. One of the reasons why I give an invitation, just as it's given here, I know, at this Calvary Chapel, that I give an invitation after the services. I don't want anybody to think that they're saved because they came to a Bible study. As good as that is, that if you're here Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and realized that you need him to forgive you of your sins, to surrender your life to him? So Simon needed Jesus as well. And and as the story continues in verse 37, now being introduced to this woman, and behold, as you go through Luke's gospel, he uses that word often, behold. What he's saying is, look at this. This is important. A woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him and weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. As we read this, uh, you have Simon the Pharisee and then this woman who's only known as a sinner. Now, some have suggested that it was Mary Magdalene. There's no evidence for that. Some have suggested that it's Mary of Bethany, but we know her anointing of Jesus 
uh, right before he went to the cross for his burial was a year and a half later. It, it was in Bethany in Judea near Jerusalem, a different time, and, and there's no evidence that it was Mary of Bethany at all. All we know of this woman is she is known as a sinner, and it is more than we're all sinners. Scholars will agree that what is being said here is that she is known as being a prostitute. She is known as being a harlot. And this woman and Simon, the Pharisee, are the two extreme represent representatives of the religious and social scale. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in the same house. And the reason that they're there is because of Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? We have all different backgrounds and experiences and come from different cultures. And the reason that we're here in this house is why? Because of Jesus. We're here, and he wants to touch your heart. He's got a word for you this morning as we continue on. So here they are, and this woman bringing this alabaster flask of fragrant oil, as we read. And she begins to anoint Jesus' feet. Don't just picture her, you know, Jesus sitting at a table like we do, and she comes under the table and begins to anoint his feet. In that culture at that time, tables were low to the ground. And you would come into the house, you would remove your sandals, you would come in, you would kind of sit there, your legs crossed, or you kind of lean on pillows. It was a very casual atmosphere around the house. And it's more than just Simon at one end and Jesus at the other end of the table. There's others, verse 49, that tell us that are there. So you know there's other religious leaders that are there, other dignitaries that are there. Probably the house is full of people. And here she comes in, and it would have been considered scandalous, uh, shocking for a woman who had this kind of reputation to come into the house of a Pharisee. And it would take great courage for her to do that, wouldn't it? Just as I think that some of you that are here, it's taken great courage for you to be here. That you know that you may be made fun of by friends or that you may have a family member, a spouse, uh, those of you who are younger, even parents, that get angry because you come here. That as you live for Jesus Christ, it takes great courage in the day and culture that we're living in to stand for righteousness and to live for him, amen? Be courageous. Go to him. Speak of him. Stay close to him in every way. And it took tremendous courage for her to, to go into the house of Simon at this time. And, and she has this box, this alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and, and it would be given to young girls at that time in that culture, when they were just small by their parents, and it would be saved till their wedding day. It would be so valuable to them, and she knows, this woman, that she will probably never be married. It is the most valuable personal thing that she owns, and she brings it here to Simon's house to give to Jesus. And she's washing his feet and drying them with their hair. And I'm sure that as she came into that house, there was a gasp by the guests that were there and by Simon. She is weeping. 
It's a deep expression of brokenness and humility. And perhaps she came originally to anoint Jesus' feet, but the tears are flowing from her eyes, and she starts to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. And it's more than just having an emotional response. Listen, she probably has had no emotions left in her life. She has had to put up with the stares of the people being condemned and being judged. And for much of her life, I'm sure she just went through life with a blank stare. And she had never given her heart to anyone. Is there somebody like that today here? That the pain and the difficulties and the hurt that you've gone through, that you may feel like you're just going through life with a blank stare, that you've been judged and you've been condemned and you feel like, I'm not going to give my heart to anyone. She gives her heart to the Lord because she had seen Jesus. She had watched him and heard him. And the Lord desires to touch your heart and for you to give your heart to him. She comes with this this alabaster box of fragrant oil. I've got to get to him. And it's the only thing that I have of any value, but she doesn't understand at this point that she has given him the most important thing that the Lord wants from any of us, and that is our hearts. And as Simon sees this, he he makes up his mind about her. He makes up his mind about Jesus. If he only knew what kind of woman this was that's touching him, he would send her away. Simon, judging Jesus as well as the woman. If he were a prophet. Do we do that at times in a very subtle way? Unfortunately, I found myself doing that at times in in my journey with the Lord. We're going through the book of Isaiah on Wednesday nights, and in Isaiah, the question is asked, who's been the Lord's counselor? Well, unfortunately, there have been times I have that, Lord, you need to condemn them. You need to judge them. You need to, you know, call down fire on them because I'm upset or I don't like them. It's kind of like in a couple chapters from chapter 7 and verse 51 of chapter 9. Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and then they're passing through Samaria, and, and they didn't, this village received Jesus and the disciples. So it, here's James and John, the sons of thunder, saying, Shall we call down fire and consume these people? And Jesus says, You don't know what spirit that you're from, that I came not to destroy but to save. And there have been times where I said, Lord, you should send down fire on this person or this group or this place. And it's at that time the Lord has to remind me that you don't know what spirit you're from, Jeff. That I came not to destroy but to save because he wants to save that individual. He wants to save that family. He wants to save that community. He wants to save that nation. He wants to save this nation. We don't have that compassion for the loss. And that's something that I always tell my fellowship. I pray, Calvary Chapel Greeley, that we have a compassion for the loss, that we would see people the way that the Lord sees them, that we would understand that he wants to save. 
So here she comes. Simon, you know, reacts in this way. And, and he, Jesus, deals with Simon. Verse 40, Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing to which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. And in verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. And therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this that who even forgives sins. And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Isn't that an incredible story? Jesus tells Simon uh, that the story of uh, a creditor, two individuals own him money, one 500 denarii, which is about a year and a half wages, the other 50 denarii. And, and Jesus, as he tells the creditor, freely forgave them. And, and, and notice in verse 42 that they had nothing in which to repay. There's nothing that we can offer to repay for our sins, to redeem our sins. No amount of goodness, no amount of righteousness, togetherness. Peter writes, all the money in the world cannot save you redeem you, bring forgiveness to you. You can't purchase and be redeemed by gold and silver, but only by the precious blood of the Lamb. And he freely forgave them, the creditor, and who do you suppose loves more? And, and Simon, he answers, well, I suppose, you can just kind of hear his attitude, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged rightly, Simon. And this woman who has come in who's weeping and broken before me and, and washing my feet with her tears and drying them with her hair and anointing my feet. And Jesus, verse 44, would then say to the woman, and she, I know she did, I know she looked up into the eyes of God himself. And he says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven much. And your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And she would go in peace and have that peace for the very first time in her life, I think. She had peace with God and she had the peace of God as she left. I want to close with a couple things here. That if there's two things that I pray that you would remember from this story, his great compassion and his great love for you. And maybe, again, there's somebody that's here at this service. You might be thinking, I have sinned so much. How could God possibly forgive me? There is forgiveness. And Jesus went to the cross to die for you. 
You know, in Greeley, we have the University of Northern Colorado, just a few blocks from the church, and also we have Ames Community College, which is the largest uh, community college in the whole state. There's about 9,000 students that are at that community college. And so we talk to a lot of young people. I have three kids myself that are in college. I have a son that's going to be graduating UNC. And then I have a daughter at UNC who's a sophomore in piano performance. And I have a son who's going to Ames Community College. Actually, he's going to be graduating high school, but going to Ames to take some classes. And so three of my kids, poor college kids, eating ramen noodles every day. And mom and dad, because we have three college kids uh, and paying for that, we're eating ramen noodles as well every day. <laughs> but you know, one of the things that they're asking the young people up on campus is what makes you Christians right? What makes you guys unique? What makes Christianity unique? Why are you right and everybody else is wrong? And it's not only just for young people on the college campus, but it really, I think it's for, for all you know, ages throughout culture are asking that. Why do you Christians say that you are right? Well, two things that we point them to. See, we can talk about the scriptures and prophecy and all of this, but here's what we want to do. We want them to understand this, that only Jesus died for you the Son of God who came to this world, who loves you so much, no one else did that for you. And as we get ready to enter into Holy Week, that you know that when Jesus was in the garden and they came to arrest him and Peter pulls out his sword and, and Jesus said, Peter, put the sword away. Don't you know that I'm going to drink of the cup that the Father has given me to drink? the cup of suffering and death. And I can call down 12 legions of angels, and Jesus could have. He, all he had to do is simply speak the word, and 144,000 angels would have descended down on that garden, and they could have destroyed those soldiers, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the whole world. He was perfectly within his rights as God to do that. But why didn't he do it? Because of you because of his love for you. And the next day he would take a cross and he would walk down the narrow streets of Jerusalem called the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrow, and out the Damascus gate into a place of execution that was called in the Hebrew tongue Golgotha. It was an awful place. It smelled of death. And as he went to Calvary, the place of the skull, I am thoroughly convinced that he was thinking about you. It was you that was on his mind and on his heart, and he knew that you would be here on March 18, 2018, and he says, I love you more than you can ever possibly imagine, and he proved it but why were yet sinners Christ died for us? And as he was pinned to that cross, beaten and flogged, Isaiah says, marred more than any other man, as he hung between heaven and earth, he cried out three very wonderful words, it is finished. It is finished. I've died for your sins. And I don't care how sinful you have been, there is forgiveness for you if you will come to him. No one else 
died for you. And second of all, what we tell them, and I want to tell you and remind you, there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And listen, every other religious leader, whether it's Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, they're still in their tomb. Only Jesus rose from the grave and conquered sin and death. And he loves you. And the second point that I want to get to you is this. You know, it's interesting. As you put the, the Gospels together, and Alfred Schieder, Edersheim, Dr. Edersheim, is a, a Jewish believer, a scholar, and he wrote a book, The Life and Times of Jesus. And he put chronologically all the events of, of Jesus' ministry. And, and as he did, he believes that after Jesus leaves there, the little village of Nain, raising the widow's son from the dead, that he comes back to Capernaum. And as he's coming back, he stops on that hillside and he cries out to the crowds, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I just bet you anything, that woman there in the crowd is hearing the words of our Lord, come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden. Not some of you, not most of you, only you know the ones that are intelligent or together. If you're weary and weak, Come to me. And that's the invitation that he's given to you. To you who have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, he says, come because I want to forgive you and save you on this day. Today is the day of salvation. And he says, yoke yourself with me. Here's the thing. Your hope is not this world. And today we are hearing a lot about movements and marches and join this, and I get that. But the world is going to leave you empty. And even as we sang here today, He, Jesus, is your hope, your only hope. Come to Him. And you, Christian, because I know a vast majority of us that are here that, that you are Christians, and you may be weary, and you may feel weak, and a heavy burden on you for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of trials and difficulties that you're going through. Maybe it's because you've been distracted. The Lord says, come, and you'll find rest for your souls. Another wonderful lesson that you're going to learn when you get to Hebrews chapter 4 is there's a rest to enter into that the children of Israel didn't enter into that rest. And the rest is in Him. And oftentimes we can say, oh, I trust you, Lord, but are you resting in Him? Are you resting in His promises? Are you resting in His love? that His promises are true for you, that He desires to work in your life and do exceedingly abundantly above all the ask or think. Can I ask you a question? Are you tired and weary and heavy laden? Come to Jesus. Continue to walk with Him, abide in Him, stay close to Him, yoke yourself with Him because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. The world, 
the world will weigh you down and wipe you out. Come to Jesus. Come back. He's waiting for you to say, Lord, I just want to reaffirm my love to you and my commitment to you. And this woman leaves that place being forgiven because of his great compassion and love shown to this woman that he wants to show to you. Don't ever forget that he loves you and he will never stop loving you. And the invitation is always come. Come to me. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning and this weekend, the work that you've done in the hearts of your people. And, Father, I just want to pray because I know that maybe there are those listening on the radio or on live stream or downstairs or in this sanctuary that they've never come to you for salvation. That whether they see themselves as being righteous or see themselves as a notorious sinner, there is Jesus who is the Savior for both. And it isn't about religion, it's about relationship. And he loves you very much. And only Jesus came and died for you. Only Jesus is your salvation. Only Jesus is the way, not a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And a few hours later, after he said that, he went to a cross, died for your sins, and he rose from the grave. And it's coming in humility like this woman did and in brokenness and saying, Jesus, I need to be forgiven. I need you. Those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, the scripture says. Will you call on him right now? It's the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. And if that's you, and you say yes to Jesus, I'm going to come, will you pray this prayer right where you're sitting? That Jesus, I come to you and I confess that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me on Calvary's cross and you rose from the grave and you're alive and you're speaking to my heart and I ask that you would now sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you, and I want to walk with you, and I want to serve you all the days of my life. And I thank you for this new beginning. In Jesus' name. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.